For the last 22 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist, and I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is Share the Knowledge. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. What's going on? Welcome to episode 63 of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM. This is my show where I try to educate and motivate DJs, share my 25 plus years of experience, and I try to answer as many questions as I possibly can, talk about things that I know, stay away from things I don't know, and that's where I'm going to start this episode. I'm receiving a lot of questions at the moment that are technical. And in most cases, we're talking about people with technical difficulties sending me messages to try to help them solve their technical issue. So that is not what I do. Now, of course, I have experience with faulty equipment, uh, connecting new stuff and things not working. But when you send me a message with a technical question and it's all about, hey, I connected my mixer but Serato is not working. I receive a lot of those questions. Um, in order for me to give a well-educated guess and answer, I'm gonna have to, have to ask you more questions. That's gonna take up a lot of time, and this is not what I do. I'm not the help desk for technical questions, so try to reach out to the manufacturer first, check their website. Most likely they'll have a frequently asked questions section. And a lot of these brands might also have a forum where you can find more questions. Use Google, type in your exact problem. Most likely you're gonna find more people with that problem and a solution will be posted there as well. That happens a lot. Um, but it's just not something I wanna spend too much time on because time is pretty precious and there's only so many hours in a day. Same thing for, and this is probably the most frequently asked question, people asking me for advice on what equipment to buy. Sometimes I take the time to answer it on the podcast or in one of the DJTLM TV videos. But again, if you reach out and you ask me what equipment should I buy, I'm gonna have to ask a lot of follow-up questions to give you a proper answer. That's gonna take up too much time. So technical answers and consultation for gear, I try to stay away from that. So um, if you're thinking about asking me, look at all the other options I just gave you first. Uh, let's get into a different question. This is also a topic that I talked about uh, on a regular basis over the years. If you're listening to the podcast and you're not familiar with my YouTube channel, DJ TLM TV, uh, I basically do the same thing I do here. The only thing is I also add uh, different types of tips and tricks, videos, tutorials, uh, product reviews, and stuff like that. So make sure you check out DJ TLM TV on YouTube. But uh, I talked about a solution for beginning DJs who are having trouble getting gigs or another situation where DJs, beginning DJs are in a location, small town, maybe even a bigger town, where they like a certain type of music, but the general consensus, consensus in that area is that that's not the music that people are feeling. So meaning you are into a genre that most people are not into, that's not really happening in the club, so you're not getting many bookings for that. What I give as advice a lot of times to beginning DJs is that you have the option to start building your own fan base by organizing your own events. So if you're not getting a lot of gigs yet or if you're playing music that's not popular in the clubs, you can try to find a small location, 
really start small and just invite your friends and people you know who actually do like that music or if you're just playing popular music but you're not getting gigs yet, try to get as many of your friends and family to support you and start hosting your own parties in that very small venue. Most likely like a bar, anything very small. And by doing that, you're gonna have more experience playing in front of people and if you do it the right way and you get to rock that small crowd and you do it again and again, that could actually expand into something bigger. They might tell other people, word of mouth is very important and the people coming in, that amount of people might grow. It could eventually grow to a number that's just a larger capacity than what the club can hold, what the bar can hold and you might have to move to a bigger spot, but you get your name out there. Very important, you wanna make sure that you also record the sets, video, pictures, audio, so that you can use that footage to post online so people can actually see you in action rocking a crowd. Now, having said that, that is an option that I always throw out there. I've done this myself. Even if the parties don't get you any extra gigs, they'll still get you the chance to play in front of people, and experience is worth a lot as well. And it's also gonna give you a little bit of a better perspective of what it actually means to organize an event. That's knowledge that's also always just good to have. Now in this case, the question I received on IG, uh, it kind of pertains to what I'm talking about right now. This question came from a DJ who wants to start organizing his own events to get the name out there and to gain respect as a DJ. And the question is, do you have any tips on what makes a good event. All right, so that's the question. Let's talk about that right now. What makes a good event? You could look at this from a lot of different people's perspective. So for instance, if I'm just a visitor, so basically I'm the consumer going to the event, what would make a good event for me? Now, in my case, that would be a place that has a nice atmosphere, great music, so you have to have good DJs, and I don't want the drinks to like cost me an arm and a leg, so you want nice prices. Uh, good people, atmosphere, great music, great prices. Then I go home uh, a happy camper. I'm just happy, had a good time, and I'll probably come back. So that would be a good event looking at it from a consumer standpoint. Now, if you're a promoter, most likely it's gonna be a good event for you if A, the people actually came, so you have a full club, uh, B, no crazy incidents, so nothing crazy happened. Um, you want the bar to have uh, um, made some money or a lot of money. Uh, I think that's most likely gonna be what a promoter looks at for it being successful uh, because that will allow him, her to make money and do more events and make more money. Now, if we're looking from a DJ's perspective, so I can take that role again, if I don't go to a party as a consumer but as a DJ, uh, for me, a good event is when I get to play the music I love to play and have a crowd that's really responsive and gives me back a lot of energy. Um, crew at that, uh, staff at that club treating me good so we have a nice relationship there and getting paid on time. Um, if that's the case, then I'll remember that as a good booking, as a great event. Now, all of those things play a part, but in this case, if we're talking about that you're a new DJ and you wanna build a name for yourself, grow a fan base and get some respect as a DJ, but most importantly, grow that fan base, look, you should just be focusing on starting as small as possible 
So please, if you're doing this for the first time and you don't have any name yet at all, don't go looking for a venue that holds like 300 people to hire that and having to pay a lot of money to do that and not making it back. Um, even though the financial thing is not the incentive right here, you just wanna have a place that is packed that's gonna give the best vibe and the best way to reach that is to start as small as possible. So probably even look for a bar, a bar that can hold like 50 people. Start small, I'm serious, start small. Um, now look, if you are a beginner DJ, but you know that if you make the call, you can have 150 friends or people you know actually show up if you have that knowledge in advance. Like for certain, I'm not talking about people that'll tell you that they'll support you, but they don't show up. But if you know for a fact that you can just make that call and you will have 150 people there, all right, you can start with a place that's bigger, go for a place that can hold 150. But if that's not the case, if you're only depending on some of your closest friends and family and maybe people in your surroundings, then you wanna start with a place that is really, really small. Because at the end of the day, you wanna be playing in front of people. And you don't wanna play in a venue where you have like big empty spaces because that's not gonna have any type of vibe. It's not fun as a DJ. The people that are there are not coming back because it wasn't just that exciting. So start freaking small. Look. I've had a lot of fun playing at house parties. I'm talking about parties in a house, like birthdays when I was just starting out. Birthdays at a person's house, and they would invite like, I don't know, I'm guessing right now, I don't remember, but like anywhere between 20 and 30 people in the living room, maybe a couple in the kitchen, and we would put up the DJ set. I would bring the turntables and all my vinyl over, and you would be playing in that living room with maybe a crowd of 20, 25 people, giving you all the oohs and ahs going crazy. That was mad fun. That was mad fun. So the size is not important, and especially if you're practicing your skills playing in front of people, that's what you should be focusing on. And even if you have a crowd of 20, 30, or 40, you can still practice reading that crowd, responding to that crowd, having the right interaction. Um, start small. Get the people you know to come support you and start there. You are better off standing in a bar, playing in front of 50 people, but that place being packed and making sure that you film that and take photos of that instead of just standing in a spot that holds 300 and you have 100 people in there because if you shoot there, that's not gonna look as impressive, plus the vibe is not gonna be as good, most likely. Um, so that's what you should focus on, man. Start small, make sure you have the people in there that you, that you need to fill it up, and uh, make sure you record it, audio, video, pictures, and build that experience, and hopefully have a great time with those people. If you have those 50 people in there, and they have a good time, they'll be back the next time you do it. After a couple of times, they might have friends that also wanna come. You may know in advance, like look, there's gonna be like 100, 150 people there. Maybe you wanna look for a place that's a little bit bigger, but maybe you don't, and you just let the people in that show up on time, because now you start to build sort of a demand and people start talking about like, yo, I couldn't even get in last time, next time I'm coming early. Or if people really start to bug you, like yo, we wanna come next time, but we need a place with more people, then you can start to look at that, but that's not your main focus. Um, look, I hope this helps you out. 
I hope this helps you out. I hope you understand what I'm talking about when I say that you can look at it from different perspectives if we're talking about what makes a good event. But when I give the advice to people to do their own events, I'm not talking about having big clubs filled. I'm, having, I'm talking about just small places where you can build your experience and hopefully get some good footage and build something from the ground up. And if you build from the ground up, you're gonna start small. All right, hope that helps you out. All right, next up, let's jump right into a question about gear. And no, this is not one of those consultation questions where people are asking me what to buy. This is a little bit different. All right, so the question is, I'm a beginner DJ and I'm trying to go niche in the music I spin, which is EDM. Why do a lot of EDM DJs or just DJs in general like at clubs and stuff to use CDJs as opposed to a controller? Is it that a CDJ is better than a controller? More mixing features, etc. Uh, like a DJ controller comes with the mixer and both jog wheels, so why bother buying all three separate parts like a CDJ? I'm curious if I'm missing out. All right, that's a very understandable question if you're not really that familiar with all of the equipment. Uh, first off, you have to realize that the CDJs were there uh, first. I'm not saying that there weren't controllers when the first CDJs came out, but if we're talking about pro level gear, the clubs uh, were not really into controllers yet. And basically I don't think there's clubs out there now that have a controller as their main set. This has multiple reasons. Now, first off, you have certain club standards and a lot of clubs will go for that because they know that most DJs will use that. Back in the days, all of the clubs would have the Technics SL1200 turntables because that is what DJs were using. So that was your club standard. At a certain point in a lot of places, this switched because people started to move over to just the newer technology and CDJs were basically a great solution. So it started with just CDJs and CD type players that were kind of taking over from the turntables, not everywhere, but in a lot of places because people started to feel that vinyl was a little bit inconvenient. It just takes up so much space. It's so heavy to carry. Um, people having trouble with needles, you name it. Now you have this digital format. It's a lot smaller. It can hold more tracks. So it was attractive to a lot of people to start using that. And of course, nowadays, if we're talking about CDJs, most people who use CDJs are not bringing CDs. They just bring their flash drive or SD card. Now, from a convenience standpoint, I totally understand why people like to use CDJs because you can literally walk into a club with nothing more than your headphones and a flash drive and you're good to go. You can walk into the DJ booth, insert your flash drive, insert the headphones and you're done. So if we're talking about setup time, it is ridiculously fast. So I totally understand why for a lot of DJs, that is a great option. It is, and I use it myself sometimes as well. When I'm not there with the turntables and DVS, if we're doing like a short set, like I said before, I will bring a flash drive and my headset and I'm good, I'm good. That's what I do after the show is done. So when I'm doing my tour DJ thing, bang, we're out, 20 minutes and we're out. We can leave the club straight away. I'm done, unplug and go. Now, if we're talking about features, no. A CDJ does not have more features than a professional controller. 
Now, if we're taking that entry-level controller, CDJ might have a couple more features, but even then, a CDJ just does not have a lot of features. Now, if you compare it to, for instance, the Denon SE5000 media player, which a lot of people compare to the CDJ2000 Nexus, uh, this has a lot more features and that could even be compared to what a controller has because it allows you to do a lot of the same, uh, same things a controller can. CDJ can't do a lot of those things. So no, it's not about features. It's all about club standard. It is also about a mindset. A lot of people will feel that this is the standard, the club standard. This is the professional equipment. And especially if people have smaller controllers, they do still view that as not professional gear. When that's just total nonsense, it is. But um, for a lot of people, that's one of the reasons. But convenience will definitely be the main reason. You have to understand, if you're gonna play with a controller, or if you, like me, you play with DVS, you have to bring a laptop. If they don't have the controller you use, and no club right now has the controller you use because they don't have controllers, you will have to bring your own controller. So in the time, that it took the brands to really make controllers that were on that professional levels. A lot of DJs who did not stick with the turntables and vinyl or DVS, and they went the CDJ route, they're not looking to go back from just headphones and a flash drive to now bringing a controller and a laptop. So that is why a lot of them will not switch. Now for some, they did, find that they wanted more features than the CDJs. So you also have a lot of DJs playing in clubs with CDJs, but they will connect Serato. They'll use it in HID mode and they will add Serato because now they have more features. Sometimes they might have an add-on controller there as well, but those people feel that they do want a little bit more or they'll put in a mixer that has the option to control some of the features in the DJ software. So that's it. That's why most people will do it. It's all about convenience. It's also about habits. It's also about comfort zone because I've seen this too with a lot of DJs. I just mentioned the SE5000 by Denon and I've talked to DJs that have been playing with CDJs for a couple of years now. They use Rekordbox to prepare all their software and I've invited those people to try the SE5000, not because I'm promoting that and saying that you should use that instead of the CDJs, but just because I have a pair and I thought it would be interesting. I've always been interested in new gear. So I was telling a couple of these like, yo, you should try this out. For a lot of them, it was still like, no, nah, I'm okay. I'm already using Rekordbox, so I'm cool. So they weren't even open to try something else because they know how Rekordbox works. They know how their CDJs work and it's pretty hard for a lot of people to step out of their comfort zone. So they rather continue to use what they're using. So I don't know what controller you're using, but chances are that if you're there with your controller and your DJ software, that you have a lot more options than the person who's there with the CDJs, just using the CDJs. Um, another thing that you can also keep in mind, if you have a controller which basically has everything in one unit, if anything on the controller breaks, the whole controller has to go away for repairs. If you're in a club and you have separate units, if anything breaks on one of the units, you can just replace that one. So if one CDJ breaks down, you can replace that one, but the mixer and the other player can still stay. A lot of clubs will have more than two CDJs there, more than two turntables there. So having separate units in a club situation is also understandable if you take it from that position.
Hope this helps you out. And uh, don't worry, you use what you use, you're doing just fine. Bazoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. You can choose from hundreds of mobile friendly themes and then customize your design and content in a few clicks with Bazoogle's easy visual editor. Now, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including tools to sell your music and merch commission free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, and integration to pull in content from all your online services, including Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. I use Bazoogle to create the Share the Knowledge podcast website and that was very easy. Bazoogle plans start at just $8.29 a month and include your own free custom domain name. Now, if you want to try it out for free for 30 days, click on the link in the description box down below and be sure to use the promo code SHARE to get 15% off the first year of your subscription. All right, there's one more thing I want to talk about and I've talked about this before and I'm going to talk about it again, not the exact same topic, but lately we've been having more and more discussions online about technology in DJing and how it affects the DJ culture. You have some people who absolutely love tech. I'm definitely one of them. You have people who absolutely hate tech and we've had those people for years. Those are the people who actually feel that anyone not playing with turntables and real vinyl is not a real DJ. You know the type. Uh, and then you have people who are kind of into tech but also don't really like what is happening to certain aspects of the whole DJ culture. Um, in this case, it all stems from a video that Jazzy Jeff released just this week, and that was a video of him again trying out FaZe. Now he was actually at their office in France, and if you're not familiar with FaZe, uh, it's about to be released, but it is, in my eyes, a revolutionary game-changing piece of equipment and it is actually made for people who are currently using turntables in a DVS setup. DVS meaning digital vinyl system, so like Serato. Um, what it does if you're using DVS is you have control vinyl on your turntables. That control vinyl is basically a signal which goes through your turntables into your audio interface or into a mixer with an audio interface. So in my case, my S9 mixer. And that signal then translated and sent to the laptop and that will tell the Serato software how it should move the pieces or move the tracks that are in the um, digital decks. So if I have a song in deck A and I move the turntable, move that control vinyl back and forth, it's gonna move that song back and forth at the exact same time. There's almost no latency, so it really feels accurate. That's how we've been using DVS for years now. The only thing is, like I said, you use it with turntables and control vinyl. You can also use it with CDs and um, control CDs, CDJs and control CDs, but for most people using Serato that I know are using DVS with turntables, um, one of the major issues that we had to deal with a lot of times, especially if you're playing in clubs, is that you're dealing with the turntables from the club and a lot of clubs don't really take good care of their turntables. So I've had multiple issues where the turntable was not sending the control vinyl signal correctly to my mixer or to my audio interface because the wiring and the tone arm wasn't up to par anymore or the head shell from the needle wasn't really connecting well to the tone arm or I had issues with my needles. Just last week I did a gig where I broke a needle after 20 minutes. Now I had an extra, but these are things that sometimes will cause issues or the turntable set is 
on a hollow stage, you have a lot of vibrations. Now, sometimes that can interfere a little bit. Uh, with DVS, it was a lot better than with normal vinyl, but as turntable DJs, we always had to deal with tone arms and needles and uh, vinyl with a hole that was too big in the middle, causing a lot of friction. You always had those issues. Now, phase basically allows you to use your turntable with a piece of vinyl, but you don't have to use your needle because you put the phase device on top of the vinyl and it's gonna actually um, translate the movement of the vinyl wirelessly to your DJ software. Um, I don't have to explain more, just look up phase online, you can see plenty of people using it. But Jazzy Jeff was at their office testing it again. He was amazed again. I totally understand why for the reasons that I just explained. You can still use turntables, you still have vinyl on the turntable, so it still has the exact same feel because it is still vinyl on a turntable. But you don't have to worry about your needles anymore. And this is where some people will love it and feel that it's a game changer, like myself, because I wanna to continue to use turntables or devices that feel like turntables, but I really don't wanna have the hassle of dealing with needles anymore, unless I'm doing a set with real vinyl. So I'll always continue to have needles because I continue to have my vinyl, and I don't care if it's gonna be for a podcast episode or if I'm doing a set at a vinyl-only party, I will continue to have needles for my real vinyl, but in most cases, I will be playing from Serato or at least playing digitally. And if I don't have to worry about needles and tone arms and stuff like that anymore, to me, that is amazing. So Jazzy Jeff tested it again, and he was talking about how this could change, could change everything. And you could see that it is kind of polarizing. It has people reacting in different ways. And one of the people I tend to react to because I really have a lot of respect for what he does for the DJ culture, his entire history, his skills. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Rob Swift. I always salute the man, um, but I do see that we definitely have a different view when it comes to the role that tech plays within this whole DJ culture. Now, of course, I totally understand where he comes from and I respect it to the fullest. He really grew up in the midst of it, so he saw it all evolve, was part of that total evolution, saw all the masters before him in person, so it's a different experience. I totally understand that. I had to do that from overseas, see things on videotapes, VHS tapes, listen to cassettes, emulate what I heard, but I still practice the craft, learn everything, and have total respect for the art form. But where I think we disagree is he talked about that the trouble that you had to deal with, with needles not being steady and everything, it made you think of ways to deal with that understand that and I do believe that um, adversity and limitations lead to creative thought if you're a creative person but his statement basically was that if Jazzy Jeff would have had phase back in the days he would have never become the DJ Jazzy Jeff that he is now I don't think we can say that 
Now, of course, certain situations will mold you into a certain person, but I truly believe that if people are creative, that they would have been creative anyway. Um, would he have been the same Jazzy Jeff? No, it might have been a different Jazzy Jeff, but I feel what I've seen from him, that if he would have had been introduced to turntables and turntablism then, and it would have been with FaZe, that he would have still been able to invent techniques and become the ill DJ he is. This is what I want to talk about for just a second. Um, I don't, it doesn't really matter what your opinion is when it comes to the subject, but I want you to take this into consideration. And that is that I see not just Rob Swift, I see more people name certain things from the past and kind of cling on to those things as if they are really valuable. Uh, what I mean by that is I saw the same thing when Sure announced that they were stopping with needles. People were saying that that's like, wait, it's, it's, it's the death of the DJ culture because of what that M447 is. And to me it was, yes, it, it was a dope needle at the time it came out. It was like the most steady needle, but I remember DJing for years before the M447, before I was ever using Sure needles. So um, it's not like that is the epitome of DJ culture. Needles are needles. One needle is better than the other. Uh, and there's still plenty of companies releasing a lot of dope needles. I have a needle on one of those turntables right there that was already being produced years before the M447 on that other turntable. So um, I don't feel that that is what made the art what it is now. Uh, but let's just take it back to this, the phase. Back in the days, we had to deal with all, all sorts of issues. Like I said, the tone arm, the needles, I've had to do plenty of battles where I had to put like quarters on top of the head shells to make them heavier, to make sure that the needle would stay on, um, dealing with stages that weren't steady that would make your record skip, um, putting extra stickers inside the middle of the vinyl because the hole was just too big to make it tighter, to have it be more steady leaving vinyl under a stack of books for a week because it was crooked, trying to get it flat again. These were all things that you had to deal with in order to be able to practice the craft that you loved. But in my opinion, those are not the things that make you a better or worse DJ. Those were just the issues we had to deal with in order to play our vinyl and do our scratches. So. If they invent something now that will allow me to still use the same device, the turntable, but not have to deal with the fact that, oh, um, the stage is a little bit shaky. Now my needle is gonna skip. Oh, my needle just broke. Oh, I'm not getting a clear signal from the needle or the tone arm. Those are things that don't have anything to do with the skill. They're just technical issues you have to deal with. If this invention takes those technical issues out of the equation, in my opinion, from my perspective, that's only a good thing that takes me away from having to deal with those things. Now, if you're one of those vinyl only people, you will feel that this is total cheating and you're not using a needle, it's not real anymore. I'm perfectly fine with that. But if you're using a digital vinyl system, like Serato, then you're already past that point. So I don't feel that using a needle or not using a needle should be part of that discussion. 
you're using real vinyl, you don't have any other option. But if you're playing digitally anyway, why are we even talking about the needle? If you're using Serato, most likely you're using it in relative mode. So if the record skips or if your needle skips for a second, your record will continue to play exactly where it was. So you're already taking advantage of tech. Why? Because records skipping are not part of the skill. Those are issues we have to deal with when we're standing on a stage that's not steady. So why would you want to continue to use something that could only cause you trouble. I don't totally understand that, um, but people have the right to their opinion. I just wanted to share a different perspective um, because I think it's a good thing. I love the fact that, like I said, once again, Rob Swift always shares his opinion in a great way. I don't have to agree, but I feel it does spark thought and conversation, and that's always good. Um, and especially if you understand where someone's coming from. But again, I don't feel just because in the past we had to deal with certain issues because that was the only option that we should still do that. I'm not gonna tell any producer who wants to start making beats now that he has to start with an old computer and use my Akai S950 sampler to do it because that's how we used to do it. Of course not. I'm gonna tell him, look, you have all these options right here. Um, download some software and start just playing around with it and you got 15 year old kids using like the most simple software kind of coming up with ill beats why because they are creative and they get to do stuff with that that a lot of us can't do that's because creative people will always be the creative ones and they will find ways to use the stuff that they have to their uh, that they have available and get the most out of it uh, that's it. That's where I'm going to end this episode. Uh, once again, this was the Share the Knowledge Podcast. I'm your boy, DJ TLM. Thanks for tuning in. I'm here every week with a new episode. Special shout out to the sponsor, Banzoogle, once again. And um, check me out on DJ TLM TV on YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. And if you want to ask me any questions, you can reach me at sharetheknowledge at djtlm.com or check me out anywhere on social. The handle is DJ TLM. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.